The Athletic. There was a sense of inevitability at St. James's Park on Saturday when Kevin De Bruyne entered the arena. De Bruyne takes aim and marks his return to the Premier League stage and shows Guardiola and co precisely what they've been missing. So why can't Newcastle United, arguably the richest club in the world, match Manchester City's spending power and have their own selection of superstars to call on from the bench? Well, let's find out. I'm Ayoki Molare. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, here for today's podcast, we have the Athletics Newcastle United writer Chris Woff, as well as our Manchester football writer Mark Critchley. All right, from his piece on the Athletic, reflecting on Newcastle's 3-2 home loss to Manchester City, George Colcom writes, City substitutes were key. Newcastle's lack of them secured their fate. Look, Newcastle's only sub was Lewis Hall. Manchester City's equaliser and winner came from subs Kevin De Bruyne and also Oscar Bob as well. Look, Kevin De Bruyne, his role was superb. Chris, it's fair to say both benches were very, very different and that made a huge difference to, to the outcome of that game. Yeah, I mean, Sam Lee was there covering Manchester City for, for the Athletic and actually we had a debate during the, during the game because I was making this point, George and I were making this point and he was like, oh, well, actually, Man City fans were turning and saying that bench isn't that strong. And it's like, hang on a second. It's like, look, it's like a relative sense possibly, but look at Newcastle's bench. Newcastle's only attacker on the bench was an 18-year-old who hasn't started a senior game yet in Ben Parkinson. They had another academy graduate who hasn't started a game in a defender there. They've got Matt Ritchie is really the only sort of player you could call as a first-team player, but he hasn't started a league match all season. They had five defenders on the bench, two goalkeepers. Newcastle's injury situation just doesn't seem to want to relent. They only had three fit senior midfielders at the weekend. And actually, at the exact moment that basically Pep Guardiola called Kevin De Bruyne across to come on. Newcastle had actually filled in a substitution sheet, which was going to take off Bruno Gimaraes because he seemed to have a bit of a hamstring problem and bring on Jamal Lascelles, whether they would have gone to five at the back, whether someone would have been a makeshift midfielder. Newcastle just don't have those options later on. You saw for certainly 45 minutes, arguably an hour, Newcastle can match opposition sides, but just as happened at Liverpool, albeit Liverpool should have been significantly ahead by that stage, and just as happened against Manchester City, the opposition bring on top-class players late on. Eddie Howe doesn't feel he can bring on players off his bench, and Newcastle tyre an opposition side scores late goals and they keep conceding late goals in key matches. They did it against AC Milan in the Champions League, they did it against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal and they've done it against Manchester City in this huge match as well. There have been other examples this season and that's where they're getting punished time and time again. Critch, we talk about Kevin De Bruyne much like the Mo Salas of this world. I mean, where do you find a player like that? They're one in a million, do you know what I mean? They can really make a difference like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a difference that City have missed all season ever since he, he went off in the first game after half an hour against Burnley. There's been an absence there of his supreme ability that we're all used to seeing over the last few years. I just feel like of any player in this league, he can find areas, find passes that nobody else can. And you see that for the winning goal to spot Bob just moving off Trippier's shoulder from that distance and, and to pick him out, I think just says absolutely everything that City have been missing. And it's been interesting, like the last few weeks there was a there was a quote actually by Klopp after the um, after the Newcastle game on uh, on New Year's Day where he said you know everything's going well we're top of the league whatever but Kevin De Bruyne is coming back and the whole country is starting to shake and it's that kind of like psychological hold that De Bruyne but also City really have over the league still where when they're not at the best there's just a sense that 
<laughs> it's kind of like I always think it's like um, you know, like a zombie film where somebody's got a gun and like they empty the whole clip into the face of the zombie. Bits are falling off it, like a hamstring here or an ankle there, but the zombie the, 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 then the they run out of ammo and the zombie's still coming at them. Every Premier League season is now like this with Manchester City. They go through this run where, yeah, things don't seem to be going right, but you can never discount them. And for them to have Kevin De Bruyne back is obviously a huge part of that and Erling Haaland coming soon too. But yeah, De Bruyne has been absolutely pivotal. Yeah, it's the Haaland one as well. That If you're talking about people still coming at you, bullets are flying off Haaland, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the way I see it. But um, I, I guess in terms of Newcastle then, Chris, I mean... Pff- currently 10th in the Premier League at this moment in time. What is the ambition now? Because, you know, you want to see a movement from what Newcastle um, unprecedentedly achieved last season. Um, Is European qualification still possible at this point? I think it is still possible. I mean, I think things may get worse before they get better. And I've been saying that for a couple of months now. And so that's not a brilliant thing for people necessarily here. But they are into the fourth round of the FA Cup. They have an away draw against Fulham, which is a quite a tricky tie, but relative to the other draws in all cup competitions this season, seems relatively kind. They need really to win that match to give everyone a little bit of a lift to feel that they can still achieve something beyond the league this season. And then go to Aston Villa away from home and they got turned over there last season really across the whole of last season that was the only time I saw them properly outplayed by someone obviously Villa have a wonderful home record Newcastle's away record this season they've only won once second worst in the league you don't necessarily see them getting anything there so they may drop into the bottom half but I do think top six or six or seventh is still achievable they then have what looks like a relatively kind February Going out of the Champions League and going out of the League Cup means that actually their fixture list is not as congested as it was up until this point. Hopefully they'll start to get some players back. And because they're going to have weeks between matches, which they haven't had up to this point, Eddie Howe can get the players back on the training ground. Then hopefully uh, they'll be better drilled. They'll be able to do what they did last season, have those energy levels, and then have options off the bench, be they Harvey Barnes eventually coming back at the side, Joe Willock, Joe Linton coming back. And when they're in that stage, I do think that they're starting 11 and four or five players that can come off the bench is just, is top six quality and they can push on. They're going to have to go on a heck of a run and everyone needs to to try and stay as level as they possibly can because they've lost six of the last seven games of the league. That's really not a good run at all. That's why they've dropped down so far. But I do think that they can pick up from this stage. It may just take a, a few weeks and then they really need to be on it every single week and then they can just sneak in that top six. Okay, well, let, let's move on to uh, the rather fascinating subject of uh, profitability and sustainability. Uh, Critch, you're going to have to help me out on this because, look, <laughs> I'll be calling it FFP for a while. But actually, technically, that's that's not the right thing to call it, especially in regards to the Premier League. No, yeah. So it, it is basically FFP, but it's the Premier League's version of it and just a different name for it, profitability and sustainability. Much like the version the UEFA version that people are perhaps a little bit more familiar with it's a break-even test so what's the money coming in what's the money going out and um, if you're making a loss how big is that loss and so under these rules under the Premier League's rules clubs are allowed to lose up to 105 million over three years now 90 million of that has to be covered by funding from the ownership if you like and that has to be it can't just be a gift it can't just be a loan it has to be them buying shares in the club if you like and increasing their stake in the club it's been in place since 2015 and it's never really reared its head right but over the last year we've had high profile cases we've had obviously Manchester City and the um, over 100 charges against them from the Premier League uh, that is a very complex very detailed very um, it's a case that is different from the other ones that we see I think because that it fundamentally is down to the accusation is that City have almost 
is deception really you know they they have they presented false accounts and that's going to be a much more serious allegation something that's much more difficult to prove and something that is necessarily going to take a lot longer um obviously though since then we've seen everton charged as well and received the 10 point deduction that's for a more kind of simple breaking the rules in the way they're kind of meant to be broken if you like spending more money than they were bringing in over the limit and we're going we expect to see other clubs fall foul of this over over the years to come and um as as we were reporting on the athletic yesterday david Ornstein with the story that everton is set for another charge nottingham forest as well but it's not just those clubs plenty of clubs around the league are all concerned about their psr as we'll call it um, headroom and the amount of money that they can spend and yes Newcastle are one of them as well there's a thought here that like people are being charged but let's say Everton finish 10th might look unlikely at this point or you know even Nottingham Forest is, is there a chance that they look at survival at the end of the season then once everything's been looked at they might be relegated well, into next season. Well, so I mean, the the the, the problem with the, the Everton first Everton's first failure of, of PSR, if you like, was that that was announced in March last year, um, and it related to the season before, so twenty twenty one twenty two. It was announced in March last year. Then you then have the process. You then and, and the the deduction when it comes is only announced this November and applies to this season. So I think in order to tie things up a little, make things a little bit neater. The Premier League changed the rules, so whereby now all clubs have to present their financial information by the 31st of December each season. And then the process, the aim is to get the process done and dusted by end of May, start of June. And so any deductions will apply in time and will apply to that season. That's the idea. Obviously, this is the first season of doing it. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be very controversial. And the Premier League have already set a really high bar for punishment. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, I think there's a lot of value in the loan market. Whether it's value that we can utilise is something totally different. I'm not sure there's many clubs out there that are willing to to help us currently. I'm not sure we have many friends in the market. Chris, I mean, look, uh, Darren Eagles, Newcastle CEO, has basically said, you know, showed there are teeth uh, to this year PSR uh, a regime at this moment in time. You know, Chris just mentioned how the president Premier League are setting a president, but in terms of, of Newcastle, Eddie Howe spoke on Friday morning that the lack of room to manoeuvre that Newcastle have in, in the January transfer market, whether that be loan moves or buying players in, why can't Newcastle spend at this point? Essentially, when Newcastle's takeover went through in October 2021, the Ownership inherited a situation under Mike Ashley where they were almost in a sort of positive FFP or PSR situation because Mike Ashley hadn't spent for such a long period of time and then bringing in all of the issues with COVID and the fact that he could write off some of the losses that the clubs had then, that they could spend a heck of a lot of money. But more than £400 million has been spent in the, in the subsequent two and a half years on transfers. And so you then, as, as this is a three-year ruling thing, you then lose some of the profit that was there in previous years under Mike Ashley and suddenly it comes in these losses. And so Newcastle have had successive years of losses of more than £70 million. Now, not all of that is directly applied to the PSR calculation because you can write off certain things like infrastructure spending, academy, women's team, uh, various other elements like that. But a large part of it is, and they've spent so much money on transfers, as I've said, more, more than £400 million. So Newcastle are now in a situation whereby 
in the, th- the previous three years, they don't have the wiggle room anymore. They they insist, Darren Eels, I asked him on the record, he said that, that Newcastle are compliant this year and they intend to be compliant every year going forward. And that means that they have to factor this in and they can't lose more than £105 million over those three years, as Mark was saying. So Newcastle, basically, that they're, they're spending last summer, which hasn't looked great in the context of this season because they haven't had Sandro Tonali for the majority of it because he got his 10-month ban. They also had a situation with Harvey Barnes where he's not played since September. They were their two big summer signings last summer. They also then brought in Tino Livramento and they brought in Lewis Hall. And Lewis Hall actually came in on an initial loan deal with an obligation to buy next summer. So they actually have front-loaded money going forward as well. And that was to try and basically get around the restrictions they have for PSR because they couldn't spend the money on Lewis Hall last summer because that would have taken them close or if not breaching their PSR limits. So they are still in that situation now. They don't like to do the majority of their business in January anyway. In the summer to come, they will have more money because they'll have had the Champions League revenue from this year. They also have an Adidas kit deal coming in. Seller, the front of shirt sponsorship, that didn't apply in last season. It does for this season going on. So the revenues will increase and that will give them some room to do it in the summer. But right now, they've basically maxed to the very limit that they can. And that's why they find it very difficult to sign someone this, this month unless they are able to sell someone first. Yeah, just a little something that I was reading uh, one of your pieces um, about Amanda Staveley taking loans out of of the of the club's accounts. Like, can you just explain what 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 that is, and actually, would this affect anything in terms of PSR in any way, shape, or form? So, Amanda Staveley uh, has the the club will not confirm exactly what the loans being taken out are for, but. My understanding is that this is to do with when, basically it's a court case with Magashi, the, the former owner, and he is sort of suing her over over various different allegations, partly to do with, I think, how Sports Direct has been presented publicly since and also comments to do with that. And also he had loaned her money initially, this is very complicated, but no, loaned her money initially so she could buy the club for, for ver- various d- different legal fees and the like. So I believe it's to do with that and the club are insistent that it was signed off by every member of the board, one of whom is though Amanda Stavely, and that they expect all of it to be repaid. But no, this doesn't necessarily affect PSR, but it does look a bit curious the time they can't spend money elsewhere, that money is going out there. What was also in the accounts, which was interesting, was that Newcastle got nearly £7 million from uh, associated party transactions last season. And that is essentially the companies who PIF, their ultimate ownership, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, that they are related to. And they have to be signed off by the Premier League. That's something which has come in since Newcastle's takeover, basically to stop them doing what Manchester City have done to a certain extent or to grow in that same way. And they have to prove the value of all of those deals. And so they had that last year, seller, who was the front of shirt sponsorship, who is also a PIF owned company that wasn't, didn't go towards last year's account. So that will be in next year's account. So you can expect those figures to grow and you can see why other Premier League clubs are looking at it and seeing the influence that Saudi Arabia's public investment fund can have in terms of trying to get money into Newcastle in other ways. Yeah. I'm also just thinking about what you talk about in terms of revenues for, for Newcastle. I mean, surely missing out on European football, that that's an extra little bit in the pocket that you could really deal with. Basically, Newcastle hoped they were going to be in European football for the second half of this season. The Champions League was worth, the accounts confirmed, worth at least £37 million to them for this season. That wasn't in the figures there. They just mentioned what was going on going forward. So essentially, you've got £40 million there. It would have been worth another £15 million conservative estimate if they got through the last 16 of the Champions League, which may have allowed them to spend more in this January or spend it all in this January so they don't look to them in. If they don't have European football next season, that will affect them as well because not beyond even the money that you get 
from UEFA because a lot of people look at Europa League and say, well, the money's minimal compared to the Champions League. It is, but Newcastle would have extra home matches and those home matches bring in revenue and they've seen increased revenue last season from being in the League Cup and having home matches in that. That helped them going forward too. So if they don't have that next season, then that will affect their ability to spend going on. And, And part of the reason why the established top six or the established top six is because you get the increased European revenues and that's where you really do break into to, to the avenues that Manchester City, Liverpool and the others have and that allows you to spend more because you have more within that PSR limit. Mm, okay, Critch, I'm just thinking about Eddie Howe right now. You know, he talks about having no friends in the market, you know, as they're looking to start to sign players, you know, to look for reinforcements this month. Um, I mean, Newcastle need it. I mean, how desperate are they in the short and the long term? And please jump in on this, Chris, as well. The challenges that they've had this season, we're all aware of it. Even even not covering Newcastle week in, week out, you see the injury crisis that they've had. You've seen the fact that, you know, it hasn't always hit them in terms of their first line, their first choice 11. They've still been able to field a strong team that uh, gives teams games as we saw on as we saw on Saturday but the reinforces below that just haven't been there and at a time when you're competing on European fronts when you're trying to build and grow in the way that they are then that is obviously going to have an effect and you've seen that reflected in the performances over the last few weeks I think they would love to make reinforcements at this time but you know we've mentioned as well they've spent more than 400 million pounds since the takeover which was about two and a half years ago when that takeover happened the club wasn't in a particularly strong place Chris can speak to it more confidently than I can but we all remember that at the time it was a club that was just about keeping its head above water every season in the Premier League I do think that two and a half years on from that they are some way ahead of schedule thinking back to how City did it they didn't qualify for the Champions League until the third full season under Abu Dhabi ownership. They didn't reach the knockout stages until 2013-14, uh, I think. So, you know, they've come a long way in a short time already. And I understand the ambition of the club and, and of other kind of, if you like, mid-ranking clubs in the Premier League. Or I wouldn't necessarily cast Newcastle in that in those terms anymore. But I understand the ambition of those clubs and, and the frustration with these rules because of that. But I do still think the way they're set up allows for growth that is gradual. And Newcastle have already come quite a long way in quite a short time, I think, as well. They benefited last season as well from the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs having difficult years. That hasn't been so much the case this year. But there's been a a misconception externally since the takeover happened, the the quote-unquote richest club in the world. And in theory, they have the wealthiest owners in the world, but you can't do what Manchester City did initially or what Chelsea did in a Roman Bramwich now because of these rules. And so Newcastle have been aware of that, but they have basically spent up to the limit of what they can do. The owners will put in more money if they could, but they can't under the rules and they intend to be compliant. So that's the internal debate they've got at the minute in terms of what they do this month. Eddie Howe is desperate for reinforcements. He was asked on Friday, would you sign players for the short term between now and the end of the season? And he basically said, usually I'm all about long-term signs. Last year we signed Anthony Gordon because we front-loaded money from the summer. He was someone we saw long-term. But the squad is in such a desperate situation whereby it needs some help, even if it's someone to tie over between now and the end of the season. But other people at the club are looking and saying, do we want to pay the loan fee, for example, for Calvin Phillips that Manchester City would would want? And if, if they do sign Man- Calvin Phillips, is it going to be with an obligation to buy? Do they want to commit money for the summer for Calvin Phillips now when they could sign someone else in the summer? And they're, they're that sort of two competing elements there for Newcastle. What business can they do? And if they are going to do it, what effect does that have going forward? Because the PSR limits, they will be able to spend money in the summer, but there's still going to be limits to what they can achieve. And do they hamstring themselves going forward? So there's there's a huge 
disparity there in a situation. It was you, you mentioned how saying he doesn't have any friends in the market. He said that before, but this was this was basically he offered that up this month, and he said he was asked basically, is there value in the loan market? And he said, yes, I think there is value, but maybe not for us. And I, re- I realise it'll be the smallest violin in the world, everyone else looking at Newcastle United's situation and seeing that. But Eddie Howe and Newcastle have frustrations that they think that there are loan deals out there that maybe they would deal with other clubs, but basically people don't want to help Newcastle. They don't want Newcastle to do well. And and I mean, that, that you get the same with other clubs. Why would Man City want, if Newcastle were top six, for example, not position they're in, why would Man City let Calvin Phillips go to Newcastle if they thought that was going to negatively affect them this season? A lot other players Newcastle want are that sort of top 10 level and so other clubs could let Newcastle get Calvin Phillips and Newcastle could end up finishing above them in the Premier League and that's part of the situation beyond even the suspicion over Newcastle's ownership and, and, and the way, where the money necessarily is coming from and, and where it could go. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimole. I think this was slightly misquoted in the press recently, but, you know, talking about selling on some of the biggest assets at Newcastle, you know, um, one of the ways of balancing the books is by selling the, the top stars to bring players in. Um, what is the truth in that in terms of players like Gimaraes or uh, Izak, for instance, um, leaving the club? Because obviously they were bought on with the potential that there will be obviously gain more value and then you can sell them off for um, much more than you bought them for. Yeah, I'm going to be writing about this, but essentially Newcastle will sell players in the coming months and years because all clubs do. And that is going to have to be, and because in their position to try and progress, that's what they need to do. You need to sell players on for a profit. Manchester City sell players. All clubs sell players, Liverpool sell players, and it's about how you then reinvest that going forward. And so for, for Newcastle, you look at a player like Bruno Gimaraes or Alexander Isak, and Newcastle have signed them for a significant amount of money, but they could, in theory, get more money for them. And also, the, the way that it works, and this is boring accounting terms, is Darren Eels made this point last week. He said, if you sell a player for £50 million, bring someone in for £50 million on basically the same wages, in terms of for your accounts, you actually gain £40 million that year in terms of PSR and the way that it works because of the way that it goes down in terms of accounting. So trading, it actually encourages you to trade players. Now, there's a lot of controversy at the minute, and Newcastle are in the same sort of situation, whereby actually the most profitable players you can sell are your own academy graduates, because there is it's called pure profit in that sense, and it all goes down in the books. And so Newcastle have players like Lewis Miley coming through, Sean Longstaff, who's in the first team, Elliot Anderson on the fringes. If they sell them for a decent fee, they get more money. So you're almost encouraged in those financial terms to sell on the players you've brought through, who probably mean more to your fans and the club in some ways. And so that's a difficulty there. But then beyond the likes of Bruno Gimaraes, Alexander Isak, Sven Botman, I do foresee over the course of the next 18 months, two years, Newcastle will have to sell at least one or two of those players to try and reinvest because they don't really have you look at the rest of their squad because they've come from such a low base they're fringe players nobody wants to pay money for them so where are they actually going to generate money from they haven't been very good sellers over the last couple of years they sold Alan Saint-Maximin to a PIF owned club in Saudi Arabia last summer which was controversial at the time some Newcastle fans felt they didn't get the the value that they felt he was worth in the market but the the value is what someone is willing to pay for him nobody else was willing to pay any money so they sold him there they sold Chris Wood to Nottingham Forest that's basically all of the outgoing business they've been able to do and so Darren Eels was asked directly, does every single player in a PSR world have an asking price? And he responded with correct. And that's the situation Newcastle are in. I'm not saying that Alexander Isak or Bruno Gomerais is definitely leaving this summer, but there's a significant chance that Newcastle will try and sell or will have to sell someone this summer. I think when those quotes got reported, people thought, oh, well, wow, like imagine Newcastle selling a player of that calibre, like, being in the position where they need to do that. But I think, as Chris says, 
Manchester City sell players, not that regularly, not players that they don't actually really want to sell, which is a difference. But Leroy Sané went to Bayern Munich a few years ago, top quality player that you wouldn't necessarily expect to leave. Just while you were talking there, Chris, I was thinking of the position Liverpool were in like five or six years ago, where they were still getting picked off by the top clubs around Europe, like Barcelona, for example, for Philip Coutinho. But if you reinvest that money by Van Dijk, by Alisson, then, you know, it builds a whole new team. And I know the same concerns around PSR that we're discussing today weren't there at the time. But fundamentally, I think those rules were still in place. What it comes down to is having to make those trade-offs, having to make those decisions, but following them up with the right decisions afterwards, as you know, Liverpool, the first case that comes to mind, did in that instance. Yeah, I'm just thinking like, you know, and, and I think you're spot on, Chris, but, it, it, you know, it's a bit counterproductive in the sense because, you know, you, you're gunning on one side, uh, Chris, for European football. And then, you know, you're having to sell one of your key assets. You know, Isaac's goal against City was phenomenal. You know, give a rice. And Isaac is in with Walker to beat still. And Isaac, it's a beauty. How are you going to find someone? And you know what the market's like. That's going to give you that level of quality because you say 50, 50 million, but sometimes 50 million doesn't get you the same player you just let go of. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And uh, Newcastle took a bit of a chance for Alexander Isak, not in the sense that the, with the quality, but every single Premier League club had looked at Ale- Alexander Isak for a long while, Liverpool and certainly Arsenal. But nobody would spend the money. And Newcastle initially in the summer they signed Isak they went and, and, and it was going to be a release clause. I think it was around £72 million and they didn't want to pay that. And eventually they went back and did get him for around £60 million. But you could see now someone like Arsenal, for example, thinking he is, he's shown he can do it in the Premier League and he could be worth it, I don't know, close to £100 million. And, but then how did Newcastle replace him, as you say? So it's a very, very difficult to, to get from where Newcastle are to where they want to be. They can't just go out and spend all the money they want and keep all the players. And that's where there are there is criticism of PSR and how all this works and financial fair play in general over how it's been over the last 10, 15 years. That basically what it does is is it crystallizes the established order and makes it very, very difficult to break into that. And, and I do think there is an element of, of truth within that. Newcastle want to spend more, but can't spend more and are determined to be within the rules. Now, the owners knew that when they came in, that's always been the case. But then when you get further down the line, it becomes very difficult in that situation to bridge a gap. You look at the at Newcastle's accounts f- for this year, and, and a lot of clubs' accounts aren't out for that year yet, but basically Newcastle are still going to have half the revenue of Spurs, who are the generated the least money of the, of the top six clubs. So they're still miles behind in terms of that structure and what they can actually spend. And their wage bill is nowhere in comparison to the others. They've, they've stru- stuck very stringently to the wage budget. So yes, they are very ambitious, but that um, that ambition is very much having to be tailored within a PSR world. And it means that they can't just rapidly expand. And Amanda Stavely said when they took over, the ambition was to win the Premier League within five to 10 years. I thought that was very, very ambitious at the time. And it's looking increasingly so with every passing year because to catch Manchester City, I think you're going to need, even financially, you're going to need another 10, 12 years easily, I would have said. I wonder what kind of impact this has on Eddie Howe. I mean, he, his job isn't easy at this moment in time, trying to change the fortunes of a club that were, you know, the brink of relegation not too long ago. Now you're looking at that triumph and getting European football. Everyone's all excited. And then you look at the injuries again and you're thinking, goodness me, did those injuries sort of buy him a bit more time? You know, we talk about him being under pressure, but did those injuries and sort of having to regenerate and recreate a squad that, you know, he's inherited a lot of them, buy him a bit more time in that respect, Chris? I think all of the mitigation around everything buys him time. The injuries are sort of one element of it. I think more more of what's bought him time is the fact that 
I would argue, regardless of all of the spending post-takeover, the biggest reason why Newcastle overachieved last season is Eddie Howe and what he managed to extract from the squad. Still a large proportion of those players are players he inherited who were battling against relegation and he's turned them them into a Champions League side last season. So the amount of work that he's put into that and and even if you look at the first 45 minutes against Man City, yes, Man City had a lot of the ball, but Newcastle were very, very dangerous on the counter-attack and that's that's down to Eddie Howe. So I think that there is patience. There was always a feeling inside the club that there could be a sort of plateauing this year compared to last season maybe even a little bit of regression in terms of league position because they had overachieved and because they have to deal with all of the issues around the Champions League and the extra games and then on top of that it's almost been like a perfect storm they've had the injuries they've had the Sandro Tonali situation he basically hasn't been playing any summer signings so it's basically been the same team as last year only without some of their star players available then they can't actually strengthen the market so much this month as they would like so certainly in a domestic sense and with support Supporters, there is very much patience with Eddie Howe and what and belief in what he can and will do. The caveat that we always have to put in with this is who knows what Saudi Arabia's public investment fund are thinking? Who knows what Yasser Ramain, the chairman, is thinking? Someone could get in his ear and say, actually, you know, you shouldn't be in this position that there's this fancier manager somewhere else, a foreign manager you could bring in, and he would sort that situation out. I think that would be extremely knee-jerk. I think that that manager would find out that actually the depth is just is not there and it's going to be very difficult to sustain this. And really, they need to build and grow with Eddie Howe. But there's always that caveat that we just don't know what they're going to, what decision they're going to make on a day-to-day basis. Critch, just thinking about the the other two big spenders in the Premier League, City, Chelsea. Um, obviously, hundred odd charges aside for City, were they just a bit lucky that they got in a bit early before all this? You know, the, the, the gates closed a little bit. Yeah, look, I think it's fairly well established that the rules, that UEFA's FFP rules, came in at a time. Yes, where a lot of clubs were facing across Europe were facing financial difficulties going out of business. I think so. There was a ne- necessity to bring in something that would promote financial sustainability in that regard it's worked revenues across european clubs are now you know generally they spend they bring more in than they spend on wages which wasn't always necessarily the case before that so it has brought a degree of sustainability as we as we keep saying but yeah if you like the drawbridge kind of went up at that point and i think it went up because you saw whether it was through state power whether it was oligarchs even maybe even some of these the kind of u.s best based hedge funds that we see taking over a lot of Premier League clubs who you know, have resources themselves. Yeah, the, the drawbridge came up, like you say. I think that particularly with regard to the Premier League rules now, there's scope and there's an argument that you could uh, reform them. Uh, you could look at ways of changing them to update them. I think I saw a tweet by the football finance expert, Kieran Maguire. He made the point that actually these limits that are in place, so $105 million over three years, you set that in 2015, that's fine. But, you know, the inflation, cost of living crisis, et cetera, et cetera, just within the football industry itself, that isn't a lot of money now. It's not even it's not even an Enzo Fernandez. It's not even a Moses Caicedo, is it, uh, over three years? So to compete with the clubs that are spending that level of money, perhaps that needs to be looked at. I think at the same time, an absence of the rules to just allow kind of free market, if you like, just just you know, whoever's got whatever money you've got, you can spend it in, in any way you want at any given time. Well, we saw the kind of mess that that got us into in the first place before these rules were brought in with those clubs losing money. And also, when we talk about a status quo and an elite, that was probably the time at which that status quo and that elite was formed, right? It was it was in the 90s, it was in the 2000s, when there was less regulation, uh, there was more money pumped into the game, and some clubs solidified their position. Yes, Chelsea and Man City, but even 
the more kind of establishment figures, if you like, like United, Arsenal and Liverpool, you know, they built on years and years of success and history and popularity in that time, solidified the position. And that's that's been the way it's been ever since. So, you know, an absence of rules isn't the answer, I think. But there is an argument absolutely for maybe looking at them and maybe reforming them slightly. Chris, I'm just sort of thinking if you're a billionaire or multi-billionaire, it, does the Premier League become then a, a bit of a tricky one to invest in? Because you can't spend your money the same way you used to be able to. Or does it become a Chelsea thing whereby, you know, just find little ways of getting around it by offering eight-year contracts, you know, like just to flesh it out a little bit? As long as there are rules there, everyone will try and find ways to circumvent them and get around them. And that's exactly what they that they will continue to try and do, all these clubs. I think that... It depends what an investor is necessarily looking for because, again, I think there's been a slight misconception with the PIF and, and Newcastle United. There, there is also a business opportunity they see here. Yes, they want – yes, there are all the, the, the sports-washing elements and allegations that people will, will cast. Also, there is the, 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 the want to, to make Newcastle into world power. But also, when they bought Newcastle, they bought Newcastle for £305 million. By the time they sell Newcastle, even now you would say they're probably going to be worth three or four times that. They could be worth several. You look at what Chelsea was sold for. You look at what Manchester United, the investment going in from Ineos, how much they are worth. If Newcastle were to establish themselves, albeit long term, they are worth a heck of a lot of money. And so there is a return on your investment. If you want to come in and win a title within three years at a middling or lower Premier League club, that's almost impossible, I'd say. Certainly, unless unless you're willing to circumvent the rules and then pay pay for that, but you're probably going to get a points deduction and those titles taken away. So I think it's more, if you're willing to be in it long term, there can be benefits. But for a short term desire to win titles, no. But to get a return on your investment, I think that the Premier League is still growing and that's why there is so much interest, particularly from uh, billionaires in America. Yeah, right. Let's end it there. Chris, Mark, thanks so much for your time. And please do remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. You know, we'd love to hear from you. And also you can subscribe to The Athletic for $2 or £2 a month for 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks for listening on this Monday. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.